Hello and welcome to the Club Chimera Martial Arts Podcast. My name is Jamie Club, and my intention with these shows is to discuss various issues in the world of martial arts and self-protection that have inspired my teaching, training and writing. If you're interested in the material I cover, please check out the show notes at the end of this program and also my website, clubchimera.com. Don't forget, I'm holding a special double seminar on the 17th of March 2019 in Malden, Essex in the UK. More details of this are at the end of this episode and this episode's show notes. This episode is the first part of a two-part show called The Yoga Myth. These shows will focus on a core erroneous assumption regarding martial arts history that has had a pervading influence across martial arts subculture. I hope you enjoy the show. Back in the mid to late 1990s, I was cross-training in several Chinese martial arts. The process had begun purely as a means to gain the skills of Wushu in order to be a better performance artist. I had a brief flirtation with the idea of working in films, but my main goal was to produce a martial arts live act. As time moved on, I became more interested in the traditional aspects of Chinese martial arts. At this period in my life, I bought into the commonly accepted myth that China was the motherland of all martial arts and the jewel in the crown of Chinese martial arts lay in the legacy of the Songshan Shaolin Temple. By accepting this premise, I believe that the origins of the temple's grand fighting heritage could be traced back to the Indian monk, Bodhidharma. The story goes that this legendary figure introduced meditation and yoga to the Shaolin monks, but became disheartened by their lack of discipline. The monks were sickly and weak, so Bodhidharma set about introducing a rigorous physical training regimen into their lives. The exercises this yoga master taught formed the basis for several martial arts and the monks became famous warriors. After a jealous emperor destroyed the temple, five surviving monks fled to spread their teachings throughout China in secrecy. Their legacy became the martial arts traditions of Asia. Such a premise made me curious about the Indian practice of yoga. I knew that this discipline had probably been diluted and mass-produced in a similar fashion as the Chinese martial arts of Tai Chi Chuan, but I also believed it was an important component of traditional martial arts training. If most Asian martial arts came from China, and the most influential form of Chinese martial arts was created by an Indian monk who taught yoga, then it followed that learning this discipline was going to improve my appreciation of the arts. When I studied Shaolin martial arts, I noticed that warm-ups were often a combination of general calisthenics, distinct stylistic dynamic stretching, and postures popularly associated with yoga. Later, my teacher, who made at least one annual training pilgrimage to the Shaolin Temple in China, followed this commonly accepted premise about the art's origins and journey to India. He brought back his intensive learning experience, and for a while I preceded my regular Shaolin training with half an hour's yoga. Being a martial arts geek long before I was a martial artist, I had several general books that featured the fighting traditions of India. Looking at the peculiar depth of the stances and the various stooping postures, I assumed a close relationship with yoga's asanas. The stretching, balance and postural control offered by this Indian discipline appeared to contribute a lot to improving my fellow students' performance in Wushu. Buying into the holistic ideal that was commonly used to sell martial arts the world over, yoga's involvement seemed to be a perfect fit and it also appeared to have legitimate lineage. Having not fully embraced critical thinking and the value of the scientific method, I also made my own independent connections between the mystical claims of yoga and that of Qigong, another Chinese martial art. It made perfect sense to me that if prana was supposed to be the vital force of life, then it was interchangeable with the ancient Chinese concept of qi or Japanese concept of qi. 
As I cross-trained in other martial arts disciplines and my journey turned in different directions, I occasionally dabbled in yoga. This included unashamed modern hybrids that placed greater emphasis on strong movements often labelled power yoga. I wasn't in it for the religious or even the spiritual element, even back then, so I had little time for the controversy caused by Brian Kest or Baron Baptiste. Being the natural heretic I always have been, I even tried out a rather silly exercise video called Yoga Boxing. Being a fan of the novel and the strange, I chalked this one down to one of the most bizarre mutations of the martial arts aerobics scene. Techniques included putting your tongue in the roof of your mouth while shadow boxing and performing salsa type hip shimmying. A cursory search on Google proves that this form of exercise hasn't died a death yet, and there are other brands popularising this form of hybrid training. In fact, the word yoga is so popular that it appears to have been combined with any number of different disciplines. Its definition in the world at large allows it to seamlessly integrate into both the world of therapeutic practices as much as exercise routines, and of course, spiritual practices. As to be expected, I kept seeing it turn up in the martial arts world. The trappings of yoga have a strong aesthetic appeal to popular culture, and martial arts media often shoehorned it into movies. The idea was easy to swallow in movies like Best of the Best, where Sully Kirkland plays the part of a coach with experience in yoga, whose job is to get a US karate team to focus and mentally prepare themselves in line with the better disciplined Korean team they have to face. Here, yoga is being used as a tool for meditation and concentration, although Kirkland's character also takes the team through a series of stretching postures. Interestingly, her character's mental focus is also used to explain her ability to hammer fists through a pile of bricks. Given the costume she wears for this scene, we might put this down to a belt in taekwondo. Nevertheless, the dramatic setup to sell the scene consists of Kirkland performing some slow-moving graceful hand gestures before she smashes the bricks. Other martial arts movies have less luck trying to bring the yoga into their plot. The two one-armed boxer movies from the 1970s, for example, both feature different fighters whose chosen discipline is yoga. The first film's yogi fighter's main gimmick appears to be walking around on his hands, which appears to have no functional effect other than distinguish him as a yogic fighter, whereas the fighter in the second film's gimmick is to attack with impossibly elongated arms. It's been reasonably argued that martial arts beat-em-up video game Street Fighter 2's character, Dallas Eam, is a crude caricature of a stereotypical yogi, was inspired by the aforementioned one-armed boxer villain. Delosseum's various moves not only involve stretching his attacking limbs to ridiculous lengths, but also levitating and teleporting. He also had a range of moves based on fire breathing, each prefixed with the word yoga. The roots of this concept come from the Indian aesthetic street performing hybrid that rose to prominence in the 18th and 19th centuries. As the yoga academic and historian Mark Singleton would note, Yoga practitioners were often all lumped in together with various other nomadic Hindu aesthetics as well as the travelling Muslim fakirs. The word fakir, as I noted in my own circus culture, has become synonymous with a type of strongman performance that supposedly exhibits extreme physical endurance. These tricks include lying on beds of nails, walking barefoot on hot coals or on broken glass or up ladders of swords, having hard objects smashed over limbs and torsos without causing any harm. Does any of this sound familiar? Many of these tricks and others have become hallmarks of martial arts demonstrations and have even become integrated into grading criteria. If I had thought it through back then, I might have considered the idea that such practices in martial arts were yet another part of the supposed yoga legacy. My next encounter with yoga came via Thai massage, sometimes called yoga massage. This peculiar form of therapy is supposedly thousands of years old, and to all appearances it seems to consist of having the person providing massage putting their fully clothed client or patient into postures usually associated with yoga. 
having been on the receiving end of this form of therapy in Thailand, I can attest that there is more to it than that, including a degree of cracking joints and deep tissue massage. I would later discover that there were many other forms of yoga that appeared to be connected to other disciplines and also claiming ancient lineages. One of these is equestrian yoga, which looks like a very slow version of vaulting. There is a good reason for this that we'll come to in the next episode. Equestrian yoga is probably the most extreme example of doing yoga with animals. Goat yoga, dog yoga and cat yoga all possibly emerge through some degree of accident. Because I do a lot of private teaching, I'm often training in clients' homes and other mats are occasionally invaded by cats. This has happened on several occasions with several different clients who I won't embarrass at this particular moment, but I can completely relate to the incident. Indeed, it's not unusual to have my own office space invaded whilst I write these podcasts, and I've had one of my cats decide she wants to climb onto my shoulders, especially when I'm typing. Having grown up with a variety of domestic and wild animals, I can testify to having various species shamelessly intrude on my training space. Somehow, I don't think working the heavy bag whilst getting periodically bitten in the back of the calf by a hyena cub will take on as a trend. During my study of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I began to notice how so many of the calisthenic exercises and stretches resembled yoga positions. BJJ, like most martial arts disciplines, had its own series of specific training exercises, and these were far removed from what I had done in Songshan Shaolin Wushu, or Kung Fu, but they often featured several positions that could be found in a lot of mainstream commercial yoga classes. Most of this influence at the local Gracie Baha Club, where I studied, came from an aspiring new teacher who supplemented his training with yoga. I would soon discover, within the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu subculture, that he was far from the only one who had seen connections with several of the specific floor exercises and what mainstream yoga was offering. Alviro Hamano was a student of the great Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu innovator and researcher Holes Gracie. Hamano, like Holes, displayed a thirst for knowledge and physical development. He became a physical education instructor and on the way embraced a range of activities that influenced the development of a program he calls Gynastica Naturale, or Natural Gymnastics. Hamano's program uses the vast array of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ground movements as solo exercises and combines them with his knowledge of Hatha Yoga as well as other elements. Many Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu students and instructors trained in this program to provide them with functional calisthenics tailored to their sport. The Gynastica Natural website homepage features a picture of Hamano performing an abdominal isolation exercise immediately recognised by yoga teachers as Norley. Hicks and Gracie displays the same movement during his cameo in 2008's Marvel Cinematic Universe movie The Incredible Hulk. And nine years previously, a more extensive demonstration of his breathing techniques, balance and muscle control, can be seen in the independent movie documentary of his career, Choke. There is also a picture of him performing Norley in his chapter in the Gracie Way book. Hickson learned his yoga from Orlando Carney, a keen polymath in physical exercise, physical therapy, sports and martial arts. After a time as a military parachutist, winning the World Pentathlon Championship twice and cross-training in several martial arts, he journeyed to India. Like many, he had made the assumption that Asian martial arts had their roots in India and in the ancient system of Kalari Payatu. He would make many journeys back to India to train in their martial arts and also to learn aspects of physical therapy. Most significantly, he continued his study of yoga, which he had been doing for four years before he made his first trip. Carney developed his own synthesis of eclectic training programs, which included a section known as biogymnastics. According to Carney, Alvaro Hamano was one of his students of 13 years, but now is credited as the sole creator of Gynastic Naturel. Regardless of the politics of this program's origins, Carney taught Hicks and Gracie from 1986 until 1988 and considers him to be his best student. 
Our takeaway from this piece of history is that already the yoga being embraced by Brazilian jiu-jitsu luminaries was very much an eclectic mixture of physical training. As we will see in the next episode, the term yoga had already been readily applied in modern history to a range of activities that would have not have been generally recognised by pre-20th century Indian yogins. Brazilian jiu-jitsu wears its influences on its sleeve. Not only do their teachers name popular techniques after those who most impress them with their use, but various other activities also have a presence. For example, the coastal regions that spawn the sport's first classes have long had a strong surfing culture, of which the children of both Carlos Gracie Sr. and Helio Gracie became active members. Is it any surprise then that the standard training and competing uniform for Nogi submission grappling is a surface rash guard and board shorts? I remember training in the middle of winter at Gracie Baja in Birmingham, UK, a landlocked city over a hundred miles from the nearest coastline, and being amused by the surreal spectacle of my classmates running into a no-gi lesson as if they were all off to the beach. A good-natured satirical poem about Brazilian jiu-jitsu was once posted online in the style of the Lord's Prayer with the line, As it is done in Rio, so shall it be done in Birmingham. Likewise, with or without Carney and Hermano's presence, it seemed somewhat inevitable that the beach culture of Rio de Janeiro would see cross-pollination between the surfers who liked asanas and the surfers who liked to roll. Yoga schools were first set up in Brazil in the 1940s and gained mainstream success in the 1970s. Rio's shoreline is an attractive location for yoga businesses. There are several established schools there now, including a museum and a full-time centre dedicated to the discipline. There are clearly many drivers for BJJ to overtly embrace and publicise its relationship with modern yoga. From a commercial perspective, yoga is arguably an even heavier hitter than the most mainstream of martial arts styles. Putting financial incentives to one side, its image of low-impact training and wide range of appeal to all ages and abilities makes it very accessible and offers another possible gateway for future Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu students. There are many obvious similarities between the most popular forms of Hatha Yoga and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Firstly, although both demonstrate a range of standing techniques, their most extensive domain appears to be on the ground. It is here that we find a wide scope of movements that require increasing levels of balance and flexibility. One might justly argue that many other martial arts exemplify flexibility and balance, so their exercises on the ground might be considered abstract by comparison. BJJ does most of its fighting on the ground, and most of modern yoga's asanas are postures performed on the floor. A more general common interest might be found in breathing techniques. Just about every form of martial arts will eventually touch upon teaching students to control their breathing. It's fairly fundamental to effective physical training in general. The stresses of combat, especially the emotional connection, can completely disempower a fighter. The likes of Nick Gregoriades are currently at the forefront of such initiatives as Yoga for BJJ, which now boasts a host of different programs, online resources and associated merchandise. Yoga is now largely recognised as a series of low-impact exercises designed to promote flexibility, postural strength, controlled breathing, meditation techniques and balance, all of which stems from an ancient Indian tradition. The vague understanding by many is that these methods were at the basis for historical combative methods. This idea fits in well with various philosophical ideas often associated with Asia in the layperson's mind regarding the balancing of causing harm with generating good health. The holistic warrior is the image that many martial artists like to believe exemplifies the great masters of old and what is the true path for the true martial artist. The fighter also heals. The yoga master is the perfect fit for such romantic notions. He or she is the pursuer of mind and body fusion.
Few argue that there's a spiritual element too, but this is accepted as an optional side to training. The New Age enthusiast chooses to embrace this side, whereas some of the more secular health spas and leisure centres choose to discount its presence. There's a neat cyclical pattern to this idea in the mind of a romanticist. By reintegrating yoga into martial arts training in some form, the martial artist feels they are both paying homage to their roots and moving forward more holistically. It's a noble ideal. It makes for a good story. Unfortunately, it has little basis on historical fact. The idea of yoga being a posture-based discipline encouraging mind and body development that laid the foundation for martial arts techniques is a myth. Virtually every assumption regarding yoga and its relationship with the martial arts is derived from a tapestry of Eurocentricism, Indocentricism, pulp fiction and rebranding. For a martial arts comparison, the yoga we mainly see today has far less in common with the pre-20th century yoga than modern-day gloved western boxing has with its sword and cudgel-wielding early Georgian ancestor. Yet, when we look through the true history of yoga and its development, we find parallels with martial arts history. Parallels that help inform us more about why cultural history gets changed from the outside and from within. There are genuine martial arts links too, but in the most unexpected places. Next episode, we will not only debunk the popular perception of yoga, as well as certain historical assumptions about martial arts, but we will reintroduce the true yoga warrior. Cross-training has, in many ways, become its own institution. Not only do clubs now offer training in multiple systems, but there are certain hybrid styles that are often described as cross-training disciplines. Mixed martial arts is sometimes considered to be interchangeable with martial arts cross-training, and I guess in some ways this is quite true. However, I often feel that many martial artists miss out on gaining a wider perspective and a more objective view of their art by not going further afield in their studies. We need to go beyond boxing for our footwork and punching, beyond wrestling and judo for our throws, beyond extrema for our handheld weapon training. It interests me how many disciplines that are not directly considered to be martial arts have lent some of their training equipment and ideas to modern combative methods. The tackle pad found in American football, Australian football, rugby and related sports has been adopted as a kick shield by many martial arts. Agility ladders and cones that seem to have their roots in European football or soccer have become part of Western boxing in just about any combat sport that requires footwork. This is before we consider all the various areas of motivational psychology, pop psychology and philosophy that have influenced martial arts coaching for good or for ill. My discovery of the pseudo-history of yoga came from me needing to look outside of martial arts to look at Eurocentric and Indocentric influences on physical training. Good work had already been done to debunk the lineage of certain Chinese martial arts systems and the legends of the Shaolin Temple, but I needed to then follow my questioning regarding the Indian link. My stepping outside of the world of martial arts historians exposed me to other fascinating studies and compelling evidence. On the subject of different perspectives, for those of you who are curious about my written work outside of martial arts, a special anniversary edition of my first book, The Legend of Salt and Sauce, is out now as an ebook for the first time. The text is revised, there are many more pictures, more information, and I've written a new preface. There is also a special limited early pricing too. Please get your copy from Amazon or Excellence Publishing directly. Both are in the show notes for this episode.
Back to the martial arts, I'm again teaching a double seminar in March 2019 at the Blackwater Leisure Centre, Malden, Essex in the UK. The first two hours will be part of my When Parents Aren't Around Children's Self-Protection Programme, starting at 11am, and the last three hours, starting at 1.30pm, will be part of my Vagabond Warriors Martial Arts Cross-Training Programme. Hope to see some of you there. Please book your tickets through Lee Mullen of Keiru Practical Karate. I'm very honoured to be invited to teach for Lee's club, has kindly opened its doors to anyone interested in attending. I no longer teach regular classes, so this is an opportunity for those of you who live a bit too far afield to attend my private lessons to experience the Club Chimera martial arts approach. Links are in the show notes to this episode. Be sure to keep up to date with everything Club Chimera. Please like and follow my Facebook page, follow my Twitter page and YouTube channel. There is more original content going up there all the time. Please send your feedback over for requests and suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. Next episode, we continue to look at the false and the surprisingly true connections between yoga and the martial arts. Thank you for listening.